Suzanne Legrand, and this is Disobedient Fans. Today, my guest is writer Sarah Elizabeth, or as she describes herself, a word witch, a fancier of fine old things, and magics both macabre and melancholy. She is the author of The Art of the Occult, a visual source book for the modern mystic. Welcome. Very happy to talk with you. The Art of the Occult is a stunning book. It combines major themes found in theosophy, astrology, alchemy, just to name a few, with beautiful color reproductions of art inspired by these traditions. Could you talk about how you came up with the idea for this book? Well, you know, it's funny how it happened. I mean, I think the idea has sort of been percolating in my brain for a very long time, but I don't think I ever would have written the book. As it happens in um, January or February of 2019, a commissions editor reached out to me with the idea at least of the, the overview of the book, already somewhat fully formed. When I spoke with them, I felt like this was tailor-made for me, this visual source book for the modern mystic. And it, it's so funny because not a month before on my own blog, I, I'm a blogger and a writer, although I, I this is my first published work, um, I had just written how I was never going to write for money or freelance because I, I it's just always something I've loved to do for myself. And I didn't want to be beholden to anyone's expectations, I suppose. And I just wrote because I love to write and connect with other people. And so wouldn't you know, a month later, you know, the universe sort of just came knocking on my door with this idea of, you know, all of these things that I would want to write about anyway. So when, when they came to me, they, they even already had the book cover, which I, I wasn't surprised by because this, it, if you've seen the book, it's um, a work by Hilma of Clint. I believe uh, it's Altarpiece 10, Altarpiece 1, Group 10. I forget the title of it. It's just so beautiful. I mean, the, the title kind of flies out of your mind when you look at it. Um, and so I think this image was sort of in the collective psychosphere. It's really impressive how you drew together so many different traditions. You know, you mentioned there's a chapter on theosophy, um, on Kabbalah, the Hermetic tradition, witchcraft, just to name a few. Are there some common threads or themes that run through some of these different traditions? So, I would say for me, it's it's more of the art. It, it, the threads come more from the art. And because these this was such a personal book for me, I, I, I would not put anything in this book that I did not love. So I would say one thread is my personal connection with each of these pieces of art. And I realize, you know, someone else is not necessarily going to connect with that statement or connect with that piece of art. Um, but I, I would say that's the common thread. My my love and my feelings um, for these pieces and what they evoke in me. You said something really interesting early on about the way in which this art is a kind of way of knowing the world and asking questions and finding answers. 
You say shamans, prophets, and artists are some of the earliest examples of the use of visual arts as a means of entering other realms for answers they sought and the records of what they encountered there. So it's kind of the artist as, as investigator or as questioner. Yes, yes. I, and I love that, that that's something that spoke to you in my own life. I turned to art. I mean, if you want to look at the example of the pandemic, I, I mean, I wrote half of this book during the pandemic. So it was something to really immerse myself in and console myself with. And even, even before that, I mean, the past four years, considering, you know, the administration at the time, I mean, it was, it was not a good time. So uh, art uh, is a consolation for me. It's, um, it's an escape. And that's, that's where I turn when I don't even know what questions to ask. You have a quote from Max Ernst, who says, quote, creativity is that marvelous capacity to grasp mutually distinct realities and draw a spark from their juxtaposition. Isn't that amazing? I love that quote. Yeah, I, I, I'm wondering if you could talk about that. There's so much in that, the idea of mutually distinct realities and being inspired by realities that some people would argue don't exist. Well, you know, it's funny because when you ask me that question, I take it to a really fanciful place. I think about another me somewhere and what am I doing in this other plane, this other existence in the multiverse, wherever. Maybe I am an artist there. And, you know, we were talking earlier about how much we love early mornings, right? I take an early morning walk every day at like 4.30 or 5 o'clock or whenever I roll out of bed. And that is when I come up with the most amazing ideas. Maybe, you know, I don't think that's where the Max, er Max Ernst quote came from, but it, probably something in that very chapter might have shown up on one of these 5 a.m. walks. And it makes me wonder, what was the other Sarah doing at that time of day? And did we somehow, you know, touch each other in some way. And maybe artist Sarah was working on something that inspired writer Sarah. So I love the idea of that, these, these different planes of existence where we can talk to the different versions of ourselves and create the most extraordinary things. And one of the things that's lovely about this kind of art is that it allows for us to talk about multiple realities. And I think art is such a great way to do that because, I mean, it's a, I guess it's really a cliche to say this, but art is so subjective. We can both look at the same painting and see completely different things. And so I think it's such a great way to make connection, connections or have discussions or find answers. I'm wondering if you could talk about maybe one or two of the artists that you chose to talk about in this book and how their art is bridging that multiple realities, or at least questioning it. One of the artists in the book, and I might have her in there more than once, it's Remedios Faro. And I adore her work. Um, it's, it's this haunting, surrealist imagery, although I don't I don't know if she associated with the surrealist movement, um, although I think she exhibited with it. Um, but I love her work so much 
because, and this is a, a funny way to, to come at it, is because I've read her some of her writings and they are super kooky. <laughs> she, she has, um, it's a, a book and I, I, I pull it off my shelf if I knew where to find it, but it's um, like letters and dreams. Um, and she would, she would look up strangers in the phone books and send them these like 20 page long missives about these imaginary scientific experiments she was conducting. There's dream, there's recipes in the form of like spells that came from her dreams. And she's just so, um, <laughs> fanciful and whimsical. I don't really like the word whimsical because it takes people to really like twee places. And so I don't quite mean that, but she's just so imaginative. And when I think of that and look at her paintings, that just adds a whole other dimension to the, like some of her paintings with her hybrid creatures and the like the machines and all of these things that maybe she connected with from another reality maybe another remedios varro was telling her about these things you know and so she's one of my favorites in the book and i have two contemporary favorites in the book um there's carrie ann bada whose work uh, draws a lot from art history and myth and allegory. And they're these sort of Frankensteinian collage creations that, that tell a story when, when you look at them over, you know, a whole overall. And then there's um, Susan Jameson, whose works are just these beautiful, delicate pieces of wildlife and feminine energy. And they're both absolutely lovely women. I've interviewed them both on my own blog, but those two pieces, um, Carrie Ann Bada's piece is called Artemis. And then I believe, and she's in the higher beings chapter. And then Susan Jameson's is under the rose. And that is in the chapter for sacred geometry. One of the things that I really love about this book is that you include beautiful reproductions of art from well-known artists that we might have, have heard of Mondrian and William Blake. And then also from contemporary artists that I had never heard of. Uh, and, and I really appreciated you pulling together those two strands. I'm curious, how did you find such an interesting and eclectic mix of contemporary artists? Well, this is going to be the dorkiest answer ever, but for the past 10 years, I have been on Tumblr, which is a yeah, microblogging website, I guess. I don't know what they call it now, and it's not as big as it was a couple years ago, but I started just curating for my own benefit imagery that that I would come across and fall in love with. And then I want to explore further and learn all about the artists. And that's that's how I began writing these artists profiles and doing these artists interviews for these, these different venues that I wrote for. But- and you would just find them online? How would, how would you come across this, these, art, these artists? <sighs> Perhaps someone else had posted it on Tumblr and then I'd kind of fall down that rabbit hole the way we do when you're someone who becomes, you know, very easily obsessed, um, uh, you know, I might see it somewhere online or I have, 
a bad habit. And I don't know if it's a really bad habit, but I think it's an annoying habit to some people. You know, maybe a Facebook friend will post an image uh, with no credit or context. And you're like, that's gorgeous. Who is it? Oh, well, you didn't share that. So now I have to find out. And that's, that is one thing I have become. And I, you know, I don't want to sound however this is going to sound, but I know I am really good at this, at, at sourcing artists from lazy people online who, who don't provide that information. So I, I would say it's an overwhelming sense of curiosity and wanting to prove people wrong. <laughs> That anonymous artist is not really anonymous. There was something, someone who actually created this piece of art. And so a lot of it stems from that, if I'm being honest. Up until recently, people who are doing this kind of mystically inspired art would be considered outsiders to the art world. But with the popularity of visionary artists like Helmoff Clint, that distinction between artist and mystic is falling away. Would you say that's true? I read like every two or three years, um, there will be a headline about how witchcraft is trendy again. And I'm like, well, I, I don't think it really ever went anywhere. But I do know, or at least I think we can say that in times of strife and turmoil and when you don't know what else to turn to, I, I feel like these, these mystical practices give people a sense of control. And as to um, artists who might be connecting with that, I, I, think, I think they're always there. I just think because of the internet, I suppose, and technology, now, now we see their works uh, exhibited more widely. Uh, for example, I'm on Instagram and I follow a lot of several art galleries. I don't think I would know about, um, say, Susan Jamison, for example, uh, or Carrie Ann Bada, if if it wasn't for the prevalence of people sharing this type of work. And I guess it, it depends on you know what kind of circles you have your friends in online, whether or not you're going to see this, or you know the art galleries who can advertise on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and so on. So I you know I don't know if people are creating more of this visionary art or if we're just seeing more of it. I'm wondering if you think that more people might be willing to consider or embrace ideas that were formerly considered fringe or new agey or even dangerous. Like does it, is this also a reflection of changing values in our culture? I think that has a lot to do with it. it it's hard for me to answer that question because I grew up in a household with a mother who was an astrologer and a tarot reader. So I don't think, I don't think when I uh, was young, I was aware that these were fringe ideas. I recall my mother and my father divorced at a young age. Later on, she had a boyfriend who gifted me with a tarot deck for my 11th birthday party. I, and I brought it to a friend's house for her birthday party. And her mother was not happy about that. Her mother called my mother. And I remember my mother, um, she's passed several years ago now and forgive the language, but my mother said, ah, oh, fuck them if they can't take a joke. <laughs> so <laughs> this, this didn't really bother her. And so I, 
I didn't realize that that, you know, that these were, these ideas were not the norm, that this, that, you know, every, everyone's mother didn't have like 12 little tarot decks tucked in little boxes around the house. I, that's, that's all I knew. <laughs> so that, you know, that's, that's a difficult question for me to, to answer because that's how I lived my life. You call yourself, and I love, I love the language you use, a shadow seamstress. And, <laughs> and you talk about the connection between art, music, and fashion on one hand, and things like grief, anxiety, and horror on the other. And I'm wondering, how does this weaving of these things help us to understand the world that we're living in? I am a very, very anxious person. And so I think, you know, I talk about that a lot, because I think there's a bit of a I don't know. I don't want to say a stigma anymore because I, I don't know if that's true. I know a lot of anxious people. I don't think anyone's out to get us, but I, I find that, that writing about it helps me deal with it. And also it connects me to other people who say, I, I didn't know someone else felt that way. You know, I, I'm sorry you do too, but thank God you're out there feeling that way with me. And for example, horror, I have been into horror and ghost stories and um, things like that since I was very, very young, which is funny because I was a kid who was scared of everything. But as I got older, I found that reading, consuming this type of media, these movies, these, uh, these books and stories, it helped me get to know these monsters and they were a little bit less scary. And fashion and music for me is art. And so I, I try to weave all of these things together and I find my sweet spot is where all of these things intersect. So that's my favorite things to write about. Fashion inspired by horror, or I have experienced a lot of grief and loss in my life. I lost my mother, my grandmother, my grandfather, all in the span of three years. Um, so I'm coming from a place of deep loss and sorrow as well. And so those things color my life. And sometimes it colors the way I might see art or the music I listen to. And I, I think if you can take all of these things that you're so interested in and passionate about and put yourself in there as well, I think people will just want to read it. I believe that anyway. So that's, that's where I'm coming from. I love that you call it a visual source book. Can you talk a little bit about that? I like the idea of bibliomancy, just selecting a book from your shelf at random, letting the pages fall open, and just picking something to guide your day or spend your time thinking about or philosophizing about or dreaming about. I kind of like the idea that people might be doing that, Art, whether you're an artist or a writer, or maybe you're still finding your creative passion. I like the idea of just letting the book flip open. And oh, there's that, that quote by Max Ernst, how can I work that into my day? Or how can, you know, the, the fantastical finery of um, Remedio, Remedios Varro's, which is going to the Sabbath, maybe that'll, you know, inspire my outfit today. You know, I, I just love the idea of taking inspiration from this book for your everyday life. 
I am Suzanne Legrand, and today I've been speaking with Sarah Elizabeth, who is the author of The Art of the Occult, a visual source book for the modern mystic. If listeners want to find out more about your work and also get a copy of this book, where can they go? Well, I um, don't always recommend Amazon right off the bat because, you know, everybody knows Amazon's evil. However, I understand a lot of people are on a budget. And that's somewhat times the cheapest place you can get it. I think you can also order it through your local bookshops, or you can go to my blog on quietthings.com and you can get a signed copy from me. Uh, elsewhere, you can find me at Ghoul Next Door on Instagram. You can find me also, if you're still on Tumblr, you can find me at Ghoul Next Door there. And lately, I have been on TikTok where I am crusty old mummy. <laughs> I do perfume reviews over there because that's another one of my passions. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much, Suzanne. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me. I am Suzanne Legrand, and this is Disobedient Femmes. Each week, I bring you interviews with amazing women writers, activists, artists, and social change makers who are reimagining the world. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and let us know what you think by leaving a comment. Thanks.